What's up, everybody? It is Low Hanging Fruit. I'm Charlie Marlowe with my spiffy new background that may or may not be distracting. We'll try it for one episode. That's Brendan Schaefer. Brendan Schaefer's already mad at me, so let's, let's <laughs> fight. Let's let's start this. Brendan Schaefer's go. mad. He's mad because last week we did a mailbag. Yep. But 70 minutes. I said we'll answer the rest of the questions together, but then I did them myself on Monday. I didn't think I'd get to all of them. Then I realized that I answered all the questions. So now we're screwed and we have nothing to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, and the way I found out was Charlie tweeting it out and said, Sorry for Brendan Schaefer, but here's all the here's all the questions we were going to answer on Thursday. So I've held the grudge for a couple of days since that happened. Uh, now we're together, and there could be fireworks. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, just so you know, so so Brendan is live from maybe a, a bedroom. I don't know <laughs> where. I'm live from Bush Stadium, as you can tell. Yeah, I'm here at Bush Stadium. It's packed. This the crowd it's is packed. behind you. It looks like it's about 80 degrees. Um, yeah, a lot of people there just to hang out, uh, on a random, what is today? Thursday, Thursday morning. That's great. And, uh, hopefully that works out the sound, the acoustics are good out there at the ballpark. So, uh, hopefully that pans out for you. I I'll try to get used to it, but it's a, it's a little bizarre. Put in the comments if you like it or you dislike it. And I know my background's no good either. Maybe that's the distracting part. I'm here in a dungeon and Charlie is at baseball heaven. Maybe that's the problem, but. Um, let us know if you like Charlie's background. And I promise we're actually going to talk baseball. But the, the issue is, and maybe it's worse if it was just me on camera, because if you become a hands talker, oh yeah, I feel like there's like a laser. There's almost it's like a terrible. laser karate thing. It's really bad. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to really, I'm going to really be rigid. All right, here we go. Let's start with Pakoda. Every year we complain about Pakoda saying the Cardinals aren't going to be very good. And then the Cardinals are good. Last year, I can't even remember what Pakoda predicted, but I'm looking at the standings, and obviously the Cardinals were terrible last year. But Pakoda, baby, Brendan Schaefer, they like the Cardinals. 85.2 wins, winning the NL Central. They got the Cubs with 80 wins, the Brewers with 79. Cincinnati will go 78. The Pittsburgh Buccos, 73 wins. So congratulations, the Cardinals have won the Central. They won the Pakoda war, which is usually not. I think Pakoda didn't mind them last year, which is interesting. I don't think they were over the moon, but I think they they gave them a winning record and they were wrong about it. So it's interesting to see a year later when we're typically used to seeing the projections absolutely hate the Cardinals for whatever reason, um, that they like them this year. But like the rest of the Central, they don't even predict one other team to win 81 games and go 500. That is a bad division. We said it last year. And it, I guess it ended up being true, but teams like the Cubs were maybe a little better than we thought. The Reds had some spunk to them. I, the Brewers ended up winning a good amount of games. I don't know. Like maybe last year we we made all these claims about how bad the division was, and then it ended up being okay. And the Cardinals were really the problem. But this year, I don't know. I don't see the the same firepower necessarily for teams like the Brewers that won a bunch of games last year and then traded their ace pitcher. Like maybe the Cardinals are in a better spot than we think just because of the competition around them. Yeah. And I, I talked about this last week. I did a video on Friday. We'll get to this with Keenan Middleton. So that signing was reported and now it's final, but also that same day you had the news of Corbin Burns being traded from the Brewers to the Orioles. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but, it was very striking to me. I saw I saw a bunch of betting odds. And this is kind of obvious, but it is such a game changer 
when you either trade away the ace, I mean a true stud ace, or you get the ace. And I'm seeing the odds for the Orioles to win the World Series, to win the AL pennant. Their win total, I think, went up three full wins. Wow. All of those odds to win the World Series were severely decreased, like by a third or whatever, whatever the odds were. I can't remember. People can check on that. But so the Brewers are probably losing three wins. The Orioles pick it up. But when I saw that, I go, man, on paper, if the Cardinals could just add a guy like that, it just makes you feel so much better on paper about the season. Yeah, and I think Corbin Burns, to me at least, does qualify as that true ace. Now, how much postseason experience he's got, you know, the Brewers aren't always in the mix, but he's he's been at it for a while and is a really, really good power arm. And for the Cardinals, like, they added Sonny Gray, and, and that is kind of what they're resting on, I think, to look at the strength of their rotation this year and saying, look, this guy was a, a top contender for the Cy Young in the AL last year as Charlie takes some pictures. And I understand their hope for him to be great again, but I also kind of look at it in, in, in a similar way that you do and say, if you had a second one, like those teams with the one-two punch, that, that, that only help you in the regular season. It helps you in the playoffs when you have a best two out of three or a best three out of five, and you can throw those guys that you almost know are going to give you a great outing. I think Sonny Gray can be that guy for the Cardinals. I don't know if they have a second one as of now. And I know some people probably look at that and say, get to October 1st because you weren't even close last year. And that's true. Um, but I always do think about when you get there, do you have the horses to contend with the Braves and the Dodgers, et cetera? Okay. So what I found also super interesting, and I think, I think Pocota is, is fair for the Cardinals. I, I probably right now would say whatever, 83, 84, 85. Uh, again, to me, it's all going to come down to if they're in it at the deadline, then they add, then you have motivation to win. Then you probably are pushing 88, 89. But here's what I find interesting when I look at the National League standings. So you got the haves, you got the really have nots, and then you have a ton of teams, probably about 10, that are all right in the middle. I'm going to include the Cardinals. And that's why I think this could be a really, really fun season. And I'm not saying it's going to happen exactly the way Pakoda predicts. But let's say it does. So the Washington Nationals suck. They're, they're yeah. projected to win 58. Ooh. The Colorado Rockies suck. They're projected to win 58. The Atlanta Braves are awesome, projected to win 101. The LA Dodgers, awesome, predicted to win 102. So you have, on paper, two elite teams, Braves and Dodgers. Which two we all crap see. Ball. Yeah, yeah, two crap ball teams. Washington Nationals, Colorado Rockies. Then you have, so we can run three. Uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates kind of suck. I'll, I'll throw them in the sucking range. I think that's so fair. Basically, so look, that is, that's nine teams. If you go Phillies, Mets, Marlins, um, actually what, it's 10 teams. 10. It's Cardinals, yeah, Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers, Cincinnati Reds, Arizona Diamondbacks, San Francisco Giants, San Diego Padres. That's Whatever that number is, that's 10 teams that should all win somewhere from, let's say, like 78 to 85. That means a lot of series where you got to win two out of three, and it should be fun. Yeah, and and a lot of those teams are going to be vying for wild cards, right? Because the teams that you listed from the NL East and West, they're, I, I know anything can happen, but they're probably not winning their division. Like the Braves and the Dodgers are going to do that. It almost feels like a foregone conclusion. And so if you're in the Cardinals situation where, okay, the projections think you are kind of 
barely the best in in a bad central division, but you're kind of in the mix for that, and you're in the mix for all of those wild card spots that could potentially be up for grabs. So it is going to be kind of crazy, and it does feel like you could go into any given series with the notion of, hey, if you're playing an NL team in the wild card chase, this this could matter for how you stack up against them at the end. So here is my comment, Brendan, from YouTube. It's from my guy, McGill Design. And he says, smoke and mirrors. You have two proven guys. He's talking about the bullpen. Chris Stratton and Jordan Hicks. You replace them with Andrew Kittridge and Keenan Middleton. Result, an even swap. Not worse, but not better than a C grade, this person is saying. Okay. You have three starters in 2023. Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright. You replace them with Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn. Now, this person is saying that's a D grade. Overall, Mosaloc spent less money to basically bring back the same team with different names. Any improvements are negligible. Smoke and mirrors show. Now, I think that's fair on the bullpen side. To me, it's pretty fair on the starting pitching side, except Wayno was so bad last year. You're essentially replacing, in my opinion, Jordan Montgomery with Sonny Gray. Right. Jack Flaherty with Kyle Gibson. You can say those those are equal-ish, but then you're replacing Adam Wainwright, who is horrible, with Lance Lynn, who I think will be much better. But the overall question to you is, is it fair to wonder? Because I do think the Cardinals are better, but that's a pretty fair argument that, no, they're the same. I definitely think they're better, and, and I don't agree with the evaluation there from the commenter regarding the rotation. Um, Sonny Gray versus Montgomery. I'm okay with calling that a wash. Like Monty pitched pretty well for the Cardinals. You do have to remember that he wasn't on the team for the last couple of months, right? And Jack Flaherty wasn't on the team for the last couple of months. So that was that like those months went into the Cardinals only winning 71 games. They, they counted as part of that record. So people can't really have it both ways when they say the Cardinals true value of their talent last year was 71 wins and they didn't get better. Well, their their value of their wins at the deadline might not have been 71. If you keep the, the crew together, which nobody's saying they should have because it was a sinking ship, but they probably win like 75 or 76. So that's one reason that the gap isn't that much more significant because when you say Gray to, like going from Montgomery to Gray, you get Gray for the whole season, not just a, a few months, right? So that's part of it. I would actually compare... Instead of going Gibson with Flaherty, I would say Lynn with Flaherty is a good comp because I think Lynn actually has upside to be the number two in this rotation. Like we've we've asked this question, bounced it around. Who has the better year, Lynn or Michaelis? I might bet that Lynn has more upside because he can strike guys out. Flaherty was kind of that way. He was volatile because he'd be either pretty darn good or he would really be bad. That feels kind of like Lance Lynn. Where I do think they've made gains is Kyle Gibson, I think, is that solid, steady number five that you kind of know what you're going to get, and it's not going to be fall off the table, worst pitcher in baseball, Adam Wainwright. So, like, that is really an area where I think they have gained. And, you know, behind that, is it a question of no more Dakota Hudson, no more Jake Woodford? It might be fair to say, what did you replace those guys with? Because those guys weren't very good but they would throw the games when guys got injured and you kind of figure pitchers are going to get injured. So that would be a fair criticism of like, do you trust the step forward by Zach Thompson enough to say that when he is called upon, he can be better than the fill in guys 
last year were. And Zach Thompson was like one of those villain guys too. So is that gain going to be made if there are injuries? That part I think is fair. But on paper, the one through five I do think is better. Okay. And you know, there's no uh, there's no uh, data I'm going to point to when I say this. It's what the kids say. Vibe check. Yeah. Or uh, positive vibes only. I'm telling you, I just think there's going to be something to that this year. You could not have had a worse crap storm for the first couple months of the season. And I'm, I'm including, let's just include spring training and the first month. You could not have had a worse setup. I know a lot of teams had guys at the World Baseball Classic, but the Cardinals had a ton of guys and a ton of pitchers. And Adam Wainwright gets injured there. Now, sure, he was working out. Could he have been injured in Jupiter? You can make that argument. Miles Michaelis, his whole routine was messed up. He didn't pitch. You have a new catcher in Wilson Contreras. He didn't go to the WBC because he wanted to uh, mesh with his teammates, who none of them were there. And then you have an awful start to the season. You have a bunch of off-the-field issues. You can just go down the line. Tyler O'Neill, that spat. Wilson Contreras, that was a, a debacle. They even even sending down Jordan Walker after they they kept oh, him up and he was pretty good. Didn't I agree. Give him a chance. You messed with Zach Thompson. You yo-yoed him. You you said, okay, now I'm going to send you back to be a starter. Well, he's yeah. thinking, well, hell, you could have done that in the winter. So I say this, I, I just think last year sucked. And I can't give you a data point on that, except it just freaking sucked. And I think it can't suck as much this year. And I think the position players are going to be better. It's the same guys for the most part, but I think they'll be better. And I just think all you have to do is have a normal spring and just get off to a decent start. If you're around 500, we know the schedule is brutal to start, but just start the year normal. And I can see this team growing and blossoming throughout the summer. I I agree with that. I don't know how people are going to take that hearing it because it'll sound, you know, some people will say, well, you're just caping for the Cardinals and that's a homer take. But I agree with you completely when you like and you broke down a lot of the elements that I would bring up as justification. Like those are data points, even though it's not based in, you know, what the war is. I, I do think it's all relevant to what was going on in the clubhouse. And the Jordan Walker one was one that I kind of forgot about, but I completely agree with you. And if you want to compare what was going to happen last year to what we could see for this season, there's no doubt at this point that Jordan Walker is going to be a mainstay in the lineup. And he's a really talented player, got his feet under him. And like at age 20, 21 was serviceable at the big league level offensively. That's a really impressive thing to do. So now that he's kind of got that experience, I think you can start to count on Jordan Walker to be a primary contributor in the lineup whereas last year it was like hey he's scrapping to make the team and he makes it but then uh, you know we realize oh Jordan Walker not a great outfielder which they could have already known that because he had only been doing it for a number of months and oh we're for some reason bringing six outfielders that all kind of do the same thing and expecting just the competition to win out and everybody to be the best version of themselves and they there was a, a thing of too much depth in the outfield situation last year that I think was problematic especially in the early months, because they wanted to cram Alec Burleson into the lineup, but they also wanted to play Walker. And I think it was a product of the fact that they sent him down. I think they did him wrong. That that was my opinion at the time, and it still is, because if you're going to bring him at the beginning, you might as well keep him because you knew what the circumstances were going to be about how he would play outfield and how many guys you had to kind of juggle and shuffle into the lineup. 
But once that happens and they kind of reverse course on it and admit, okay, we're going to have to move him down because there's just not the spot to play him every day with these other guys that we want to get in there. You know, the the vibes on that were wrong. So now that Tyler O'Neill is gone, it does kind of simplify a little bit. And you know that a mainstay is Jordan Walker. It's not going to be, oh, well, you know, it's the same guys from last year because, no, he's a a year along in his progression and I think can be a really helpful player. And Mason Wynn now can factor in in a positive way instead of being kind of like an afterthought. So while it is a lot of the same guys on the position player side, I think you have two young up-and-comers that are on the rise and then some veteran players that, for various reasons, I think we could both see them having better years than they did last year. Whether that's a homer take or not, I think it, that's how I see it and sounds like you do too. Yeah, and I like this discussion because some people will say, if you talk too much analytics, and I like to sprinkle in a fair amount of analytics. Like, I love OPS+. Plus. I actually think it's easier to decipher OPS+. Plus. And some great. people are like, it's, it's just on 100. It's much easier than saying yeah. someone's batting average, which doesn't tell you anything. But what I'm trying to say is, so I, I think there's also something to the failure of 2023 for the Cardinals. Now, I think for the most part in a baseball season, you want your team – it's a long grind of a season. You you can't grind on them too much, right? But right. I think you could make the case. I've been here since 2008. The Cardinals have always had a winning season. They make the playoffs two out of every three years or whatever it is. You make a deep run here. I, I know we, we haven't had deep runs, but you can kind of make the argument that the Cardinals probably in the last five or seven years start to feel like they show up at spring training already as an 85-win team. Like that's the default setting. The default setting is we are going to be no, no worse than whatever the number is, 84, 85, 86. Okay. Let's push it to 90. Let's win the division. Let's get a wild card, whatever it is. There is something in my opinion, and I can't, I can't throw analytics at you, but to getting slapped in the face for the first time in 15 to 20 years. And now there's the sense of urgency from the top down. I mean, from the DeWitts in terms of selling tickets, which already looks better, but from Mosellock, who I don't think John Mosellock will ever get fired, but if he has two bad years in a row, do we see the succession plan start to go a little faster to Ali Marmol and his staff, where clearly Ali is coaching for his next contract, and you have Yachty and Descalzo waiting in the wings, to all of these players, a bunch of starting pitchers on one-year deals, but a bunch of position players who, who didn't like the way that last year ended, some stars like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt who are mo- more motivated in offseason. If you kind of throw all of that into a bin and you say, man, it was miserable in 2023, I'm sorry, that that motivates you more in the offseason. The, the negative motivates you more. The losing motivates you more, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they got blitzed by some of what happened like to begin last year. And I think part of it too that we didn't, discussed today but we've discussed before was like the newness of the coaching staff and your pitching coach is gone your hitting coach is gone you're replacing those guys like I think it was a lot of going through the motions on stuff that they thought would just be like yeah you know it's not ideal but we'll just do this and we think we've got a good plan in place and it'll be fine and they kind of just assumed the sale on a lot of those different things and I think the Contreras thing was another one of them um, Yachty going and now so Yachty comes back Like there's reinforcements at this point, it feels like, to correct some of the things that went so woefully wrong on them last year, which I do think matters. And then from your perspective on 
just the notion of it sucked last year and we don't want to feel that way again. Like, I think a few of the guys that are most notable in that sort of vibe, like I think about Brendan Donovan in the way that he's just an intense guy and he wants the people around him to be better. And as a young player, you don't always see the people with like those leadership qualities, but I think he can bring a lot. And, you know, the fact that toward the end of the year, he wasn't himself last year either. Couldn't play after he had the surgery, but for a while he couldn't be in the field and be a difference maker that he was in that regard. Like I think a healthy Brendan Donovan makes a difference to this team. I think Arenado is probably the biggest wild card because we know how intense he can get. And I think last year he sort of, it just all soured on him because he could tell early on where it was going, which was nowhere. The you know, he was, he came to St. Louis to, to win a championship. Right. And so to only get a brief taste of that in the, the, pre, the previous playoff series and they go out Oh two. And then you followed up with that. Like, I think he probably had to dig internally and go, all right, I, I hated all of this obviously, but for the team around me to be able to get the most out of itself in 2024, I've got to channel those things in a really effective way, use it as fuel. Um, and now I think he can do something about it because they're not 15 games below 500. Like he probably wanted to do that last year, but you can't at a certain point change the reality of the standings. And so I really do think that the vibe of being O and O to start the season can be a difference maker for a team that for basically five months last year knew that it was toast. Even if it wouldn't say it publicly, they just knew that the season was done before it ever really got started. And that's, that's probably not a great environment to play in. And that's why I think so much is on the line. And the more I think about it and the more you talk, I, I think more about now we've, we've discussed this in previous shows. So I, I went from basically management, um, ownership, coaching staff, players, look at the two studs on the corners that, that we just talked about and what is potentially on the line. Now, I think the Cardinals are going to be good. I think the Pakota 85 is about fair. But if things go sour, you have Goldie entering the year without a contract. And all of a sudden, yep. even if he wanted to come back, I want to win, man. I got two, maybe three years left. If they're bad again, if they're bad in 2024 and Goldie doesn't have an extension, he's probably being moved at the trade deadline, then who knows? Look at Nolan Arenado. We know that in the past, when he hasn't won at a Colorado, he's essentially forced his way out of, of that organization with the Rockies. I'm not saying he would do that and, and, and force himself out, but what if they have two straight really bad seasons? All of a sudden, Nolan Arenado probably wants to be traded. I, I, I think those things are all on the table if they have a crap year. In last year, when the Dodgers front office basically had the media blitz Remember that when the, the articles about Arenado to the Dodgers were kind of coming out and that wasn't anything that Arenado was necessarily fueling, but the, the powers that be with the Dodgers, I think we're kind of leaking that stuff out there to kind of grease the wheels a little bit, you know, because now if it's another bad season, maybe Arenado's not trying to, you know, take a crowbar and pry himself out from baseball heaven. But like, is there a scenario where then the Dodgers are winning a bunch of games and Arenado sees that and knows that they want him and is like, I mean, if something happened, I would, I'd play there, you know, I'd, I'd go like, I think that's more the way that it could play out. Arenado's not on this team in 2025. If the Cardinals don't win this year, that's my prediction. I just would be shocked because I think exactly what you described with Goldie. If the Cardinals don't win, whether Goldie's great or not in the midst of them, not winning, 
I think it sets up for potentially the Cardinals to look at their situation and go, you know, we got this Bally's thing going on. There's some uncertainty in the air. Maybe we 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 step back a little bit by not replacing the salary of Goldschmidt when he walks. You, you know, we just he's going to walk, and it is what it is. Or if they're bad enough, they'll trade him in July. And then once that happens, and you're Arenado, you can see the writing on the wall. So very quickly, the team sheds sixty million and has just like a minor reset in 2025. I think that's a legitimate possibility if they don't win. So yeah, all those things with the coaching staff and the manager and Moselec. All those things are definitely on the line in various ways, but I would agree the cornerstones of the franchise at first and third base, that is up in the air pending the result of this season. I don't think that's like like chicken little stuff to say. And we recorded last Thursday, so the Keenan Middleton move was on Friday. Want to get your your take on that. You like me, I'm not as much of a fantasy baseball nerd as I used to be, but I know you're all in it with uh, baseball and football. So I like the fact because when you hear the names for, for me and you, I think, Andrew Kittridge and then Keenan Middleton, you think, oh, those are those guys that would always vulture you about five saves every once in a while. <laughs> Keenan yeah. Middleton with the Angels back in the day. You had the Rays for a while where, like, everybody on the team had eight saves. You know, they had, like, nine guys getting five Who's the closer? seven saves. Who's the damn exactly. closer? <laughs> it's like, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's like the uh, New England Patriots running back situation. You can't trust any of those guys ever under uh, under Bill Belichick. But I guess it's the perfect scenario because, look, Helsley's a stud, but if his usage is still going to be not necessarily a lot of back-to-backs, yeah. Look, if, if healthy, if if Helsley's healthy, he should he should be 30, 35, pushing 40 saves. But you're going to need other guys on those other days, and that's where I think sprinkling in a Kittridge, a Middleton, even a Geo with a lefty matchup of Romero or whatever Libertor is going to do or, or Thompson. You just need, you need a basically a bin of other guys to help out high leverage spots. And I think the Cardinals have achieved that because I, I do think they needed one more guy and they got Kittridge. And I think Middleton is that just one more proven guy. He's as much certainty as you can get for a reliever. Yeah, and it's not that he's a superstar, but he he did some good things last year, uh, especially after being traded, where I, I think he threw more change-ups last year than basically any other year. And toward the end of the season, he had like 12 appearances for the Yankees, um, 14 innings, had 17 strikeouts, had like a 1-8 ERA, um, 47 strikeouts um, with the White Sox. So on the season, he was 64 Ks in 50 innings. That's the thing that jumped out the most to me is like, they do. They talked about it a lot last year, but then with the guys they brought in, it was like, did you add enough swing and miss to your pitching staff? It, you know, kind of remains to be seen. I think guys like Gray and Lynn can strike some guys out, but Kyle Gibson won't. Uh, Michaelis is still here. So, like, there was some question. Adding a guy who struck out a ton of dudes last year, if I know nothing else about him, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm in on that. And I don't think, I, I still haven't seen if it was reported what it cost them. I don't know if that, has been out and I just missed it, but I'm assuming not that much. I think there's an option for 2025 as well that they can figure out, but yeah, to get Kittredge and to get Middleton, I mean, you've got a good number of guys from the right side now that you feel good about. And I feel good about Romero. I think he's a good, he's a good one. And I still kind of think Libertor is going to end up in the bullpen and be good. And so that's like two good lefties. And another thing about Middleton too, as a right-hander, he had reverse splits kind of like Palante where he's better against, uh, left-handed batters, so you can use him in maybe a number of ways as well. Injuries are going to happen. There's going to be attrition to your bullpen, but to start the year with a, a group of, I would say, at least a handful of guys 
that you go, yeah, if he's in a leverage spot early in the season, like he's done that before, or I feel he's capable of getting the outs that you need. That's a good combo to pair with a rotation that all they said is basically get us quality starts, get us six innings, three runs, get us to the back end of that bullpen a little bit more smoothly. The bridge has to be better in that fifth, sixth inning. I think they signed a rotation that can accomplish that, even if they don't have a bunch of guys who are going to have a two ERA. Like, I can see the puzzle fitting better this year than it did last year. That's just on paper. It hasn't happened yet. So that would be the cautionary moment. But I do think it makes sense with what they're trying to do, what they're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, and that's where I think adding the innings, and we've already discussed this, but adding the innings, and people will say, oh, their ERAs are four and a half. But adding the innings helps the bullpen just in terms of usage. And then the swing and miss, which I think, Swing and miss is now becoming this thing that even when I say it, I start to chuckle because there are probably people that are saying, will you shut up with the with the swing and miss? But here's where I think it really matters. Even if it's a bunch of bullpen guys that just strike out more people than last year, even if it's somebody like Lynn and you add in Sonny Gray, just here's why the more strikeouts matter for the Cardinals. This is not the Cardinals team of whenever it was two, three, four years ago where essentially everybody was a gold glover. You had Yachty. You had at the corners, Arenado, Goldie. You had Edmund winning a gold glove. I know Donovan was the utility guy the one year. But I'm saying, go back to the years of Harrison Bader winning a gold glove. Even, even that year, Dylan, Tyler O'Neill wins a gold glover. He wins two. Yeah. Dylan Carlson's thrown out a bunch of runners um, from the outfield. This is not that defensive team. And let's be real. Wilson Contreras is not a great receiver. We 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 hope he's better. He's never going to be Yachty. We hope he can be 5 to 10 to 15% better. But the reason I'm, I'm long-winded on this, but every time the ball can just hit Wilson Contreras' catcher's mitt and the batter can be out and the ball is not put into play where you either now have a guy like Wilson Contreras who you don't necessarily love as a receiver and you have a defense that is not the defense of four years ago. Every extra strikeout helps this team immensely because they're not that great defensive team anymore. And Wilson Contreras is not going to control the running game like Yachty. So the swing and miss is super, super important. It is important. And I agree they're not the same defensive team. I think there's a chance that people, like, if if the best case scenario unfolds and the Cardinals win, like, 89 or 90 games, and it's like back to business as usual in St. Louis. I think part of that story looking back will end up being that they found their principles defensively again. And the way that I think it's plausible that that could happen is the push to have Tommy Edmond be the center fielder because he has great range and he did a nice job last year without ever really doing it. And so now he's spent a, an offseason with that on his mind. Now, I know he hasn't been able to do a whole lot because of the wrist surgery. But like he's going into a season knowing this is my role rather than just middle of the year last year, took a shot and made it happen. So I feel good about that defensively. It's always about up the middle, right? And I think Mason Wynn can be a gold glove caliber shortstop and has more upside than even the guys like DeYoung who were good defensively, but they weren't great and they never had like the flashy arm. He would just kind of make the plays he was supposed to make. Mason Wynn can be a difference maker in stealing some more out. So I think, Anchoring center field with a good player that has range and speed because you've got Walker on your your side that's not going to be elite defensively. That would be helpful. 
and put Newt Bar where he's more serviceable and makes more sense in left and then have a great defensive shortstop. Like maybe that can be those two things. And it's why I've talked so much about that is like, can Mason win hit? Because if he can, I think it's actually going to help their defense a lot to be able to align everybody where they can help the pitching staff in a way that they did not do at all last year. Okay. So I want to get back to where we started with Pakoda and talk about some other teams in the division because so the Brewers being projected at 79, I actually think that's going to be less because I think the Brewers are not going to have a great season. And I think they'll, they'll sell off assets again Hmm. at the deadline. So I'm just looking at the Cardinals true competition in the central. And to me, I actually think it's more likely if the Reds can make a surge and they would want to try to compete. I think there's a better shot that the Reds are pushing the Cardinals than the Brewers. Now, to me, the big question is the Cubs. The Cubs still haven't done very much, and they're they're projected at 80 wins. I'm looking at the Cubs rotation, though. We know Justin Steele's really good. Kyle Hendricks been there forever. Jamison Tyone, Jordan Wicks, Drew Smiley. Okay, so are you excited for this? In the while you were talking, the Cubs have added Uh-oh. a pitcher. They haven't added one, but you forgot a guy that they did add, uh, Shota Imanaga, the other Japanese pitcher they did pick up. Now, there's some skepticism on how effective his game is going to translate. I think he can be pretty good, but maybe not like a number one, number two. He's not a, a Yamamoto, but can at least fill a spot in their rotation that's solid. So I think that is a question mark. And, and doesn't it feel like if they wanted to, Chicago, big market, they could make a splash? Like, we in our brains have it in tune of what we expect the Cardinals payroll to be because they talk about it so damn much. But with the Cubs, it's like they could decide to spend a lot of money or they could decide not to. And it feels like it could go either way. And maybe that's still something that's pending with names like Snell and Montgomery and, and Bellinger, like they could bring back Bellinger. And I think that would help them because he played really well for them last year. So they're interesting. The Reds are interesting because of how much young pitching they have. Like, you play fantasy. So a lot of those reds guys like Hunter green and Lodolo and Brandon Williamson, like they've got a bunch of dudes that if they all take the step at the same time, that's what makes them dangerous because they have young pitching that is at, at this point unproven, but if they prove it, then it's like, Oh, the reds are a thing now because they have the thing that everybody wants, which is controllable pitching anchoring a pretty good rotation. That's what makes them scary to me. So I kind of see them in the same light and the brewers. I kind of agree with you as well. Um, I don't know if like they could win 80 games, but I just don't know what gets them over the hump if they don't have the the pitching. Right. And so my bad on that with Imanaga. That's okay. So no. So Drew Smiley to me is still a guy who he gives you starts like last year for the Cubs. He started 23 games, but he appeared in 41 games. Yeah. He threw to a five ERA. So the, the amount of money he's making Still, to me, there's flexibility to be a swing guy. I'm sure he wants to be a starter, but but if they still wanted to spend an ad, like I said, a Snell or a Montgomery, and, and maybe they don't, but I, I, I feel like the opportunity is there. It, it wasn't like last year with the Cardinals, where last year it was hard for the Cardinals to add a starter, yes. even though you didn't love all their starters, but they all had contracts. Like you weren't you weren't gonna kick any of those dudes to the bullpen. Now you can make the argument that Steven Matz could be kicked to the bullpen. He already was last year, but I still think you're paying a lot of money for him to be a starter. Yeah. So it's it's hard to have on paper six starters who are getting paid. 
that's why having that swing flexibility with a young guy sometimes helps. So I do think there's an advantage. The Cubs current setup, if they did want to put Smiley in the bullpen, he's a guy that pitched out of the bullpen a bit last year, even though he also made 20 plus starts. So if they did want to add a Montgomery, a Snell and really bolster that rotation, I feel like Smiley's the type of swing guy that can go to the pen and people aren't all mad about it. I, th- I do think they have more flexibility in that regard than the Cardinals had last year. And like, even then the Cardinals have this year, because you still have Steven Matz as your sort of number five, making 11 million and fans would say, Hey, to get the elite rotation, you need go sign Montgomery back or go get one of these guys. But I, I just don't think that there's a-, a position for the Cardinals to be able to realistically do that. Like they could, but it- it's also kind of hard to have the free agent signing go. I can count two and know that you've got five. Like, are you really going to move a guy making 11 million? Or is this going to be a situation where I'm, I'm caught in something that I don't want to be in. I think the Cubs have way more flexibility in that regard. And again, the payroll muscle to use it if they want to, just because I think that ownership group has been kind of uh, been cheaper than they necessarily need to be uh, given the market size and everything that goes into that. So if they wanted to add one more, they would definitely be probably the chief threat to the Cardinals in the central. And also adding at the deadline. I mean, it's funny you right. talk about money. They spend it all on the uh, on the manager. And Hector Neris, that's a lot of money for a reliever. But you would think they have some some dry powder, especially if they're in it at the deadline, to uh, to go big. Yeah, what do they pay Hector Neris? Because I, I think that was kind of a – it was, it was just a one-year contract. But, yeah, it was, that's interesting. Because I thought when they signed when – they, when they took the manager from the Brewers – Craig council that it was going to be like, Hey, this is the Cubs are here to spend and make it happen, but it's kind of been in fits and starts. Okay. You get the second best Japanese pitcher, you get Hector Neris and you spend up on him. I kind of prefer the way the Cardinals attacked with uh, the, the Kittredge trade and the signing for Middleton. Again, I don't know. Maybe he is making 9 million, but I feel like they were a little more economical, which again, it's not my money, but when you're talking about knowing that those limitations exist, I like the way they've attacked the bullpen rather than like, give a $40 million contract to Jordan Hicks and have him flame out. I think they've gone about it, not to say he'll flame out, but he's going to try to be a starter now. That's a whole different thing. But I I think I like the way they've approached the bullpen. Uh, It's just some of these guys that they've kind of taken a flyer on will have to hit behind the big hitters, I think, to to really make it work. You know, you and I really didn't discuss that. Because you brought it up, I know it was a long time ago, but aren't you kind of shocked that he got that money to – to still try out to be a starter when he's tried it before, but man, that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. He's still a really good bullpen arm. So he'd right. probably get, let's just say he gets the same, the nearest, the 9 million. Okay. Times four, the money's not that crazy, but to give the man who's, who's a proven reliever and, and the uncertainty of being a starter that surprised me. I think it's probably Hicks. like, like he wants it. He's always wanted to be a starter. So when you're a free agent and you can go to teams and say, Hey, uh, if you sign me, I want a chance to start. And the giants can be like, okay, sounds great. Like I would be curious to know, like, I don't, I doubt the giants came to him and said, Hey, we really like you to be our starter this year. I kind of feel like, Hey, we like you. And Jordan Hicks is like, what do you think about this being a possibility? You're his agent. And the Giants probably look into it and go, all right, I think we can give this a shot. But if it doesn't work, you can always fall back on him being a good back-end reliever for $10, $11 million a season, which is, again, a little pricey 
but not crazy and not all too different to the the contract he probably would have gotten as a reliever anyway. You might hesitate to go a fourth year if the guy's only a reliever, but I think the money, like you said, not too crazy. I hope it works out. For one, I think it would be great for Hicks because it's what he's always wanted. But for two, Cardinals fans would hate it because they would say, why why couldn't he do it here? And the, the Cardinals messed him up. Like it, the, the fodder would be tremendous if he ends up being like a, a great all-star caliber starting pitcher at the end of the day. All right, we'll go a little shorter on this one just because let's be honest, there's nothing going on. I ruined it. Nothing. Brennan's mad at me. Because I answered all the questions myself. I took all that <laughs> YouTube money for myself. The, the angst is very high in this podcast, for sure. So tell folks about your spring training schedule. We'll try to do a podcast next week. If you're super busy, it's all good. But tell people about uh, your schedule, where they can see all of your content. Yeah, I want to do it. I want to try to make it work for next week if we can, because I'll be in Jupiter. I'm driving down, which I've done the past couple of years. I'll leave the Monday morning after the Super Bowl. And it'll take me, you know, 20 hours or a couple of days, whatever I do to break it up. So by like Wednesday, for sure, I'll be down at the campus at Roger Dean, which I hear is exactly the same as I left it. They were supposed to have a bunch of renovations and like none of it happened. So we'll we'll see the same place we've always seen, which will be great. But uh, yeah, I'll be down there for like close to three weeks, I think, till early March. I'll head back. So I'll get a good feel for camp. I'll get to see some great Fruit League action, action I should say. I will uh, do the podcast with Charlie. I'll do my podcast, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Just type Brendan Schaefer Cardinals into the, the search bar and you'll probably find it. And uh, we'll be doing a lot of that. And all my writing will be with KMOV, firstalert4.com. Uh, so hopefully a lot of good stories and like stuff to actually talk about. That's what I'm excited for, Charlie, because, yeah, we we kind of uh, we squeezed the, the, every little drop out of this lemon that we could of a 2023 season. And now it's time to look forward and hopefully have some new storylines to talk about. Sure. And, and obviously I'm live at Bush stadium right now. Yeah. You're and still so there. in the next couple of weeks, I will be live from spring training in the sense that I'll have a backdrop that looks like Cardinal spring training, even like though picture? I'm sitting uh, at, <laughs> yes, even I'll though I'm sitting at my, for you. it'll look like you're oh, right got, there at the picnic table. Hey, I got a lot of stock photos from previous spring training. Oh. So even though I'm sitting in St. Louis, I will look like I may be sitting at the picnic table in beautiful Jupiter and go into that place that you get the, the Mahi trio salad uh, down the, what's that restaurant called that we always go to uh, it's right there. Walkable walkable. Is it the Cuban place or a different place? Cause I got to tell you, they've done some, there's some changes that have been made with the restaurants in that little circle. It's for the better. I mean, there's some good stuff, but I'm trying to remember your place. Um, I can't remember. Jumby Bay, maybe. I'm trying to yes, remember. Jumbie Bay. Not to give Jumbie out free advertising. I think they're still there. Uh, but there, yeah, there's a lot of good walkable places down there. My, I'm doing an Airbnb. I'm staying like on the other side of the golf course that's right there in Abacoa, so I won't even have to drive very far. Um, I'm pretty excited, and I'm glad that next week we won't have to complain about Charlie taking all the questions because I might actually be able to bring some topics to the table. And uh, maybe it'll salvage our friendship and we'll be able to to move forward from this. I'm, I'm going to call it an incident that happened this yeah. week. So uh, I'm looking fair. forward to that. Yeah. Okay. Before I let you go, Super Bowl pick prediction. What's going to happen? How? I Once the Chiefs beat the Bills, I was like, all right, they have Patrick Mahomes. The rest of the teams don't. So I'm kind of in the mind that this should be more of a pick em. I know the Chiefs are an underdog. I think the Chiefs will win. I don't think it'll be terribly high scoring because the, the, the Chiefs defense has been what's carried them. 
Um, I'm hoping Brock Purdy throws a bunch of picks. Like, I want to like the guy, but I think the narrative around Brock Purdy is like, all right, like, we don't have to pretend he's like the best because he's got all these amazing players to catch his touchdowns and run the ball in. So I'm not trying to be a Brock Purdy hater, but it kind of feels like for, for Sunday, I will be. Um, give me Chiefs 24, 49ers 17. I'm going to go Chiefs 30, 24. Ooh. Ooh. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet against Patrick Mahomes like I did last year. I took the Eagles. Oh no, I had uh, a lot of fun learned, last Super Bowl watching yeah, down at my I Airbnb my in Florida. It was it was a very good, very good time. You're really throwing out this, you know, you're kind of uh, you know, this this rich Airbnb guy. You're kind of throwing oh, this no, out no, there no. a lot. Look, if I was rich, I wouldn't you get a hotel? Wouldn't but but Airbnb is a way to kind of trim some costs and 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 help out the station. You know, you just want to help out those who are sending you on this on this journey and be able to do good work for them. And, uh, you know, I think it's cheaper than hotels. So I, I'm not trying to do ads for Airbnb either, but if they, if they want, you know, we can talk about it. Love it. All right, Brendan Schaefer. I think our friendship will prevail. Okay. Uh, thank you, sir. And uh, great podcast, low hanging fruit, comment, like, subscribe, share the show, share the channel, follow B Schaefer daily as well. And now I will sign off live from Bush stadium and Brendan, live from the the spare bedroom and uh i kind of like this backdrop but comment and let me know is it distracting we'll see <laughs> i'm gonna dude now that this is again i can never end a show you know how you have your new toy this is yeah so like i've done Streamyard for two three years and i did right. zoom before that i never used the backgrounds but now that i'm i got one it's gonna be my new toy and i'm gonna put all kinds of crazy backgrounds all the time now can i do that is, let me see did it change yes. for me Yes, bricks. Yeah, I don't like the bricks. Not yeah. a fan of them. Hey, why don't you hit the bricks, all right? All right, I'll do, I'll do that. End this thing, okay. would you? All right, I will. See you guys later. Comment, like, subscribe. Love you all. Spring training is here next week. It'll be great. See ya.